Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going to have you pull your Bibles out if you have them, and I'm going to try to get situated here, and if you don't have your Bible, I'm sure they'll throw something up on the screen, and if they don't do that, then you're just out of luck, just out of luck, I feel very honored, very privileged to be able to, to be with you, especially on revival, uh, my family and I. You know, when, when, when you first start preaching, you kind of just feel giddy about anywhere they ask you to preach. And uh, <clears throat> I thought that would wear off, but I still feel kind of giddy, especially when someone would, would think of us to come and, and be in multiple services. So we appreciate that very much. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate you taking time out of your week and your evening to be in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to try my very best to preach to you tonight. I kind of feel a little bit nervous, a little bit off. I don't quite know how this is going to go or what's going to happen, but I'm going to do the best that I can, best that I can do. The book of Haggai is where I'm going to go, so I know you're excited about that. It's where all great revivals start. In the book of Haggai, I couldn't even... Uh, couldn't even have taken you to a, to a major prophet on the first night. I'm just going to take you to a minor one. We're going to go to chapter 2 and verse 3, and, and you would be easy if you just mark your place there and hey, guy, I'm going to I'm going to kind of reference that tonight. I can. Hey, God, chapter 2 and verse 3, and I better begin reading or we'll never get out of here. Uh, Bible says, who was left among you that saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? You know, it makes a big difference how you see things now. He said, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Of hosts. Now, I, I, I want to talk to you if I can. I want you, I want to I just give you a, a, an insight here. Because um, I want to talk to you about the temple. 
But I'm going to talk to you also about the house of God, the church. The Bible tells us that, that know you not that your body is the temple, the Holy Ghost. So, so I just want to give you a little precursor. I'm going to talk about the temple. And I'm going to talk about the church. And I'm going to talk about you and I being the temple of God. Okay, so, so I just want to give you a little bit of a, to, to understand where I'm going. Okay, I, so I don't usually do that, but I felt it necessary. And halfway through, you might still say, what in the world is he talking about? But I hope not. I want to talk to you about an unfinished temple. I want to talk to you about an unfinished temple. An unfinished temple. I believe God wants to, to, to complete some things tonight. I feel in the Holy Ghost that God wants to start new things in this revival, but tonight He's got to complete some things. Tonight, he's got to finish some things in us. Tonight, I believe God wants to restart some things that we stopped. That God wants to continue some things that we kind of let go. So I want us to throw our hands up and ask God to let the Holy Ghost minister to us. Tonight, Lord, I love you. I thank you. Your presence is rich in this place. Your power is rich in this place house. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I'm asking you to move by the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. On this first night, God, speak to us in the very depths of our spirit. Speak to us, God, in a very rich place in our heart, Lord, and we'll give you glory, and we'll give you honor, and we'll give you praise, and we'll thank you. Complete a work that you've begun in us, God, and we'll give you all the praise for it. Why don't we clap our hands and bless the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Everyone said amen. 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 Shake your neighbor's hand. Tell them I hope the preacher don't preach too long. You may be seated. Uh, somebody has clued me in. Someone has clued me in as to what we're having to eat after church, so I'm going to be quick. I set my timer to, to food timer. So the picture that you see behind me is, is of the Longwood Plantation. It was designed by a Philadelphia architect named Samuel Sloan for Haller and Julia Nutt. They were Mississippi natives, and they were members of Natchez planter elite. They had all the money they would want and all, 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 all of the time they would need, they thought, so they began this building. It was designed in 1859, and they began to work on it, getting this far. If uh, Just a little bit of background. This completed house was to have 32 rooms, 26 fireplaces, 115 doors, 96 columns, and a total of 30,000 square feet of living space. Every brick that you see was handmade. The porticos go clear around the house. There's walk-around porches there. And as they begin to build in 1860, by 1861, the building was stopped. With rising tensions over the Civil War, the men from Philadelphia, the con contractors, they left. And they said to each other, we'll be back because this won't last very long and we'll finish the building. 
And while the exterior of Sloan's Oriental Villa was largely completed, the home's interior was left unfinished except for the lowest level. The Nutt family lived in this finely furnished basement until the 20th century. This is called Nutt's Folly. The property was deeded in 1970 to the Pilgrimage Garden Club and then to the McAdams Foundation. And it's been designated as a National Historic Landmark. Years back when my wife and I visited the plantation, I remember looking as we drove up the driveway at the outside and I thought, this thing is amazing. The Byzantine top and, and all of the, they begin to give us all of the details about it. And when they walked us through the, the door in, in that lower level, it looked like you had walked into a 19th century mansion. It was amazing. Silver was everywhere, and, and, and I began to ask, is that real silver? Is all this furniture real? And, and the lady that was giving the tour said, no, it's sadly not. Julia Nutt, in order to raise her eight kids in that basement, after her husband died of pneumonia, in order to keep the family alive, she sold every piece of silver that they had, and she had to sell everything that they had to keep her family alive to live in that basement and as you look at all of this they've tried to recreate what it would be like it was modern it was magnificent but as you begin to walk up the stairs the story changes when you get up to the first flight of stairs at about this high the the drywall or the plaster finishes and it's just brick walls and as you walk up the levels of this house all of it is unfinished the walls and and you can see uh you can see all, all of the 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 the, the framing of of the house and you could see everything that's not finished and as you walk layer after layer everything is exactly the way that it was when they left in 1861 the workers tools are still sitting there the boxes that say property of the Sloan company and Philadelphia PA are still there a piano that her sister had sent to her has never been unboxed everything about this place on the outside looks magnificent but halfway through your tour, when you walk up the stairs, you'll find an incomplete structure that from now until eternity will never be finished. Only nine of the 32 rooms were ever finished of this house, and it will remain that way until time is no more. When I begin to read of the story in Haggai, I begin to think of the Longwood Estate. These children of Israel, they had come back from Babylonian conquest and exile. It was a new group of Jews that had returned and now the work and the building of the temple would be completed and it would begin. Although it only took Nehemiah 52 days to build the wall, it was a miraculous undertaking. Somehow, this new group of Jews that have come back from exile have set for 16 years and the temple has not been rebuilt. They have set for 16 years and the temple has not been touched. Haggai enlightens us as to why it would appear that their personal affairs had interfered. Their personal agendas had interfered with the building of the temple. Seems that discouragement had set in. 
So not only was the building never complete, but even if we do complete it, it's not going to be even close to as grand as Solomon's was. It's not going to have the splendor. It won't have the pomp. It will not have the pageantry. There's no reason to even worry about another temple. What we're going to do is we're going to just do what we can do to better ourselves. We'll never have a better temple than what we had before we went into Babylonian captivity. But we'll have a better house than we did. We'll never have uh, anything better. The temple will never be better. We'll never have that much gold again. We'll never have that much silver again. But we can have a better vineyard than what we had before we went into captivity. And we can have a better garden. And we can have better land. And their focus and their attention begin to be on what I can see and what I can do and how I can better myself and how I can fix everything that was wrong with me. I want to tell you something. I'm glad that I'm no longer in the captivity of the world. I'm glad that God has brought me out of Babylon. I'm glad that God has set my feet on a rock, but I've come to tell you that if you've been set free by the blood of the Lamb, your only job isn't to better yourself. I'm glad that God has given me good things, but my job isn't to accrue all the good things that life has to offer. My job is to build a house for God. My job is to build a dwelling place for the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. My job is to do something for the kingdom of God. We beheld with our own eyes Solomon's temple, they said. We saw the gold in abundance that was used. We beheld the thousands of priests that were working, but now we don't have thousands of priests. We watched the building, and we watched them build the three, the three-storied priest chambers, and we watched as they constructed the ten golden candlesticks and the ten tables of showbread and the ten, the ten, the ten lavers for washing. We watched as they put all of this into action. We watched it. We saw the day of dedication when Solomon had to enlarge the altar so that we can, we can take in all of the sacrifice that were happening. We witnessed as they tried to hoist up those giant pillars, Jacob and Boaz, the 40-foot pillars that are 21 feet in diameter made of brass. We watched as they hoisted them up. We saw the greatness of the last temple. So why would we bother trying to replicate that? We saw how great it was, so why would we bother even building this small temple? We noticed and we were watching out our windows when the chariots and the horses came and all of the queens and the kings of the world came to bask in the glory of Solomon's temple. But now nobody's coming to see us and now we're begging for Darius's money and now things aren't the way that they used to be. So why would we be in a big hurry to rebuild this thing? We saw as the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifices. We saw as the Shekinah, the very presence and cloud of God, came down and hovered in the temple. But now we don't even have an ark. I, I mean, there are five things that are missing in the temple of Zerubbabel. There are five key important things. I'm getting there. I'm just building, okay? I'm, I'm looking at the timer, and i got plenty of time. There is no ark in the temple of Zerubbabel. The temple of Zerubbabel, if you, don't, if you don't know this, you probably do. That temple, when, it, when Herod takes over hundreds of years later, is the same temple, only Herod has updated it. 
just updated it. And it still lacks the same things. There is no ark. There is no Shekinah. There's no sacred fire that falls from heaven. There is no Urim or Thummim. There is no, there's no light or perfection. The breastplate of the priest is the Urim and Thummim. It's where God would speak to them and give them direction. But now there is no direction. There is no way to find the will of God because all of those things are gone. There is there are no spirit-led prophets that will speak in this temple. They're not there. Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, they were the last spirit-led prophets to ever speak of this temple. And then for 400 years, there is silence. Nobody talks. So, so my question is, why would we even rebuild this thing? Why was God so obviously furious? Why did he shut down every aspect of their increase? That's what it says in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, I want you to watch what's happening. That's what God's telling them. You've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but you're never warm enough. And he that earneth wages earneth them to put them in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring some wood, and build the house, and then I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified. You look for much, but it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew upon it. Why, saith the Lord, because of my house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. I begin to think about it. I, I begin to think about just this modern day church that we live in. I begin to think about this modern day religion. I begin to think about people that are baptized in the name of Jesus that come to church on a regular basis and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. But they begin to have things not go their way. They're never warm enough. They're never content enough. They try to get all they can in, but it's never good enough. They try to eat, but they're never filled. They're never content. They don't know what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. You left off the building of the house of God and you started building your own house and God said when you'll finish the temple that I want you to finish that I will be there and I will give you what you've asked of me give you what you've asked of me God stops the do God calls for a drought God causes their work to come to nothing but why? For a temple with no fire? For a temple with no ark? For a temple with no spirit? I, I, I believe maybe the answer to the question is found in the sixth verse of the second chapter of Haggai. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I'll shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And I'll shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. In a little while, he said, there will be a shaking. In a little while, there will be desire that comes, and I'll fill this house with glory. The prophet Haggai has tapped into something that he does not understand. He has tapped into a spirit realm that he cannot comprehend. But God is not speaking of filling Zerubbabel's temple with glory. He's not speaking of another Shekinah coming in there and then finding the ark and putting it back in that holy of holy. 
he's saying, I need you to build the temple. I know that you're going to go through years where you're going through the motions and nothing's happening. I know that there will be 400 years where there is no movement, there is no ark, there is no glory, there is no light, there is no perfection, there is no profit. You will go through a dry spell. You will not hear from me. You will not see me. But I need it to be built because one day the glory will walk back in to that temple. One day the prophets will speak in that temple again one day I will send my power I'm telling somebody tonight I just want to reiterate real quick in case you forgot the arm of the Lord is not short his promises they are still yea and amen and it might have been a while but God's still able to do what he said that he was going to do it might take a hundred years it might have taken 400 years but one day the glory walked into that house again Let me, let me rush. I, I find it quite amazing that after 400 years of no spirit-led prophet, one day they bring a little baby to the temple, and that, te- that baby walks into the temple, and out of nowhere, here come two spirit-led prophets, a prophet and a prophetess. And after 400 years of nobody speaking, when they bring that baby in there to dedicate them, the Bible says that Simeon came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and said, Now let thy servant depart in peace according to the word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation that you have brought. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The glory had returned. I've just got to preach to you. It might be dark now, but the glory will return. It might be light. It might have been darkness, but the light walked back into that temple. And and, and, (laughs) Jesus declares, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And all of the five missing pieces that that temple never had, it walked in in one man named Jesus. He said that I don't need an ark. I am the seat of mercy. I don't need that. I am the glory of God. All I need to do is to quit worrying about building my own house and to start building his house. You understand? You understand? Is everybody all right? You, you, you understand that, 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 that the temple was never really about the temple. From Moses and his tabernacle in the wilderness to Solomon to David's tabernacle to Zerubbabel's to, to Herod, all of it was a shadow of a greater plan of God. It was a shadow of what we call the church. Acts 7 and 37 tells us that this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, Prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brother and like unto me him shall you hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. church in the wilderness but I don't ever remember no 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 you see that tabernacle in the wilderness was just a representation of the church and the Bible tells me that that the church is the body of Christ 
That temple is nothing more than a picture of the body of Christ. It shouts to, and it points to Christ even down to the colorings and the coverings. You, you understand that the tabernacle only was allowed to have four colors other than that gold. It was white, it was blue, it was purple, and it was scarlet. That's all that you're allowed because white speaks of the sinless man, the second Adam, and blue speaks of the heavenly man, the son of God, and purple speaks of the royal man, the son of David, and, and scarlet pre, pre, uh, speaks of the servant, the son of man. Everything points to the body of Christ, the coverings, the linen, the, 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 the goat's hair, the ram skin dyed red, the badger skin, it all points to Jesus and the body of Christ who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church which is the church I said all of that tonight to say this God put a great emphasis on his church now I'm going to preach to you. I probably went too long, but I, hey, I went short last Wednesday, so I got credit. You, you understand, God has put a great, if God has put thousands of years, actually since the foundation of the world, he has put plans in place to build his church. In fact, this church is the only thing that he's ever purchased with his own blood. God never bought one thing. God didn't purchase the earth. He just made it. God didn't purchase anything that you see. Not one blade of grass. Not one tree. But the Bible says the church of God was purchased with the blood of Jesus. And if you think one minute that God's going to allow you to build your house and neglect his, you've got another thing coming. If you think God's going to allow his church to be put second place and to be abandoned and to be forgot about, we have lost our mind. I've come to preach tonight that the this church will stand the test of time. That this church is going to be there when everything else falls away. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The only safe place in this world is the church. The only place you'll find refuge from the storm is the church. The only place you'll find forgiveness is the church. When all of this world crumbles, one thing will remain steadfast. That is the church of the living God. Clap your hands if you love the church. Hallelujah, hallelujah. live in a world today that is so similar to the Jews in Zerubbabel's day because all they had was excuses. We live in a world today let me, let me rephrase that just so you don't think I'm talking about something. I'm talking about the church world today. Have a church world today that has so many excuses, it's off the chart. They want to talk about what the church doesn't have. They want to talk about what the church is missing. They want to talk about the imperfections of the church. 
well, I don't go because. And I don't give because. And I don't invite people because. Well, I don't go to church. They're a bunch of sinners. Well, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. That's great. I guess if the dentist gets a cavity, you're going to quit going there too. I guess if your eye doctor needs glasses, you're going to quit going to that eye doctor. I guess if you go to the hospital and you find a sick person, you'll quit going there. I guess if your mechanic only rides a bike, you'll quit having them fix your car. I'm telling somebody today, you ought to fall in love with the church. You ought to fall in love with the house of God. You ought to fall in love with the body of Christ again. Hallelujah. I don't have any excuses. I feel the Holy Ghost. The church has been mighty good to me. The church has been mighty good to me. It might not be just like it was 10 years ago, but the church is still the church triumphant, and God has built it on a rock. Hallelujah. 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 Yes. Hallelujah. I used to have a relative. I, I used to have a relative that used to come to church, and she would come in late, and she'd leave early, and she'd sit on the back row, and she'd be mad. I'm not. I'm not talking. If you sit on the back row, that's fine. I, uh, but don't sit on the back row with an attitude. She was mad every time she come in. She had aught every time she come in. She was upset every time she would come in. But the very few times that she wasn't. We'd be in middle service and she'd want to get her fix. So she'd just hoop and holler and run around the church and do her dance. And she'd be mad if you didn't do it with her. Then she'd run up when she felt the urge and, and she'd try to prophesy over everybody. And I, and, I, and I was young at the time and I thought, something ain't right. You see, the whole time she's running around hooping and hollering and trying to give people prophecies, her kids are sitting in the back just doing homework as teenagers. They're not praying through. They're not getting, I'll tell you where they are now. I'll tell you exactly where they are. They're both backslidden and they're not in the house of God anymore. And she's now divorced and she's in some charismatic place, had hair down to the floor, but now it's all chopped off because there's people that God said, I want you to understand this is my body, this is my church. And if you think I'm going to let you just do what you want and live how you want and come in when you want and treat my body bad, I'm not going to let that happen. I purchased this church with my own blood and I need some people that'll love the body and that'll love the church because if you love the church the church will love you back and God will love you back and if you take care of it God will take care of you hallelujah hallelujah I want to fall in love with the church again God takes it very personally how you treat the church well don't get real live they're going to Brother McBroom, keep that timer on 1X, okay? Don't speed it up, all right? Don't. Well, the church just ain't like it used to be. Well, they just don't sing the songs I like. And, and well, I just don't. How many problems can you find with one church? I, you know what my favorite one is? I'm going to preach about it for a little bit. I, I don't get anything at a church anymore. Well, I show up, but I don't get anything. The proverb said that there's a horse leech, and the horse leech has two sisters. And one of the sisters' names is Give. And the other sister's name is Give. 
And if it had a third one, it'd be Valerie. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He said, the, the horse leech has two sisters, and they cry give and give. And they never get enough. They just cry, give and give. And I, I begin to look at, brother, I begin to look at the horse leech or the leech. And leeches, they, they, they only flourish in stagnant water. You're not going to find leeches in a nice flowing stream. And you're not going to find leeches in a lake that has an inlet and an outlet. You'll find leeches in places where it's stagnant. And the water's all dirty. It's all nasty. And I begin to think about it. We've got people in the church. And I, I've noticed that. I begin to notice that horse leech spirit. I notice what it sounds like. It sounds like this after every church. Well, I didn't get anything. Well, what am I getting out of this? Why didn't they sing the song? I, I wanted to get something out of church. You see, you've contracted because your spirit has been so stagnant for so long. You've contracted that attitude that the church is there to give to you and give and give and give and give. But I want to know when's the last time you came in and said, what can I give to the house of God? What can I give to the church? What can I give? I don't care what song you sing. I've come with a shout. I've come with a dance. I've come with the praise. I've come to give something to the church. I don't want to see what I can get but what can I can I just preach to you maybe the church isn't like it used to be because you're not giving into it like you used to give maybe if you give a little more maybe if you come with a praise maybe I wish someone would show up and say I'm here to edify the body I'm here to give something to the church why don't someone lift your hands and give a praise to the church right now? Why don't you give a praise to God? Why don't you give something instead of wanting to get? It's so eerily apparent to me that for so many, the church has become second place. I'm going to tell you, when I was growing up, it was church first. If I didn't have a ride, they'd find me a ride. I didn't grow up with parents that were in church. My mom had been backslid for 12 years. When I was five, my dad passed away of a brain tumor, and she quit the church. She gave up because she was mad at the church. And for 12 years, she was backslidden. So if I needed a ride, I had to go over to Grandma's house or Grandpa's house, and I had to say, I I'm coming to church, and I'm going to be in. I had every excuse to not be in. But growing up, it was church first. It was church is what is important. And now... We were, we, were, we were at Camp Ola. We did two weeks there. The first week we, we dressed up like goons and did children's ministry because they love that stuff. And, 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 and there, was a, there was a kid there named Sam. He's 12 years old. And Sam told his pastor, he said, I'm going to stay for one week. And, and I'm not going to commit to two weeks. And if I like it this first week, then I'll stay for the second week. So about the third day into the first week, Sam come to his pastor, and his pastor was just elated, you know. They, they have a real small church they're starting to build after his father died, and he's so elated. He said, he said, Brother Glaspell, Brother Glaspell, you know, he's from Louisiana, he can't talk. He said, he said, he said, hey, it was the second day of camp. He said, Sam came. And Sam said, he's staying for the second week. And I thought, that's awesome, man. That's great. And he said, you know, though, today Sam's mom called. I said, okay. And Sam's mom told him, Sam, 
We just got a call from your coach, and you made the 12-year-old All-Star team. It's your first time. You're in the 12-year-old All-Stars. You, you made it on the baseball team. And Sam grabbed the phone and said, sorry, Mom, but I'm staying at camp. Sorry, Mom, but I'm staying at I'm telling you, we have people that they'll send their children out for everything going, but there's a generation that's rising up that said it's more important for me to be in the house of God than to be anywhere else in the world. It's more important what I'm feeling in the presence of God. I want to be back to where church means more to me than the world. I've lost jobs for the church. I've given up good paychecks for the church. But I found out that God is faithful. That God is faithful. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Why don't somebody praise him? Hallelujah. In the days of Hezekiah and Josiah, the problem was that there was a breach in the house of God. The problem was in Hezekiah's day that they had to repair the doors of the house of God. A breach or, or the fixing of the door. You understand what a door is for, right? It's so you can enter and exit properly. Mm -mm. And until Hezekiah fixed the door of the house of God, there was always going to be an issue with how they entered and how they left. And until you fix the doors in your personal life, until you fix the doors and how you feel about the church, you're always going to have a problem with how you enter and how you leave. You're always going to have an issue when you enter. You're going to enter with a frown on your face. You're going to enter with a murmur in your spirit. You're not going to enter with a good attitude. It's going to change. Well, I, I, I showed up. You ought to be happy. I showed up. If you're entering with that attitude, you need to fix the doors because that's not the right attitude. But the, the Bible gives us a very clear, uh, the Bible gives us a very clear instruction on how we're supposed to enter into the house of God. The word of God says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Have, be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. If you don't enter with a good praise you ought to find a different door you ought to fix the breach in the house of God and once you enter with thanksgiving I feel the Holy Ghost right now I think somebody ought to get a praise in their spirit that says I'm glad I was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the Lord I want to fall in love with it how you enter how you enter the house of God. But it also determines how you leave. Because we are acknowledged that we must leave and serve. That we must leave and reach for the lost. That when we exit... It's not that just we were at church and now we'll act the way we want. That's not the way that it works. When we leave, the Bible even says that if you will come in with unforgiveness, you need to just leave your gift to the altar. You need to go make it right. There, there, there's some issues and there's some problems that we need to face. And the problems that we face is that we don't leave or enter the house of God the way that we should. We enter with a bad attitude and sometimes we leave with a frown on our face when we should enter with thanksgiving and we should leave with joy in our spirit for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Somebody has got to repair that breach today. Hallelujah. Let's throw our hands up right now. Somebody has got to repair that breach in your house today. God, give us.
give us a fresh love for your house. It was October, it's October of 2012. New York City, Midtown Manhattan, hordes of people have traveled by foot and by cab to stand in long lines. It was not the 40th anniversary of Taco Tierra. <sighs> they were not in line for 40 cent tacos, although it was worth it. They were in line for an important commodity that Hurricane Sandy had suddenly made scarce. The must-have item was not batteries. It was not bottled water that they walked and braved the elements for. It wasn't rations of food or clothing that they walked through the New York streets and journeyed to Times Square to get, but the element that they walked for was Starbucks coffee. Okay, I, I'm going to get that to stand up there for a minute at least. Bethany Owens said, it was scary not having Starbucks. So I walked for 10 blocks with my 18-month-old daughter to get my daily dose. According to the Wall Street Journal, Starbucks had closed all New York City stores at 4 p.m. on Sunday. But one man, he decided he was going to stay open on that Monday. So there was one store in all of Midtown Manhattan that remained open. It was the Starbucks on the main floor of the Marriott in Times Square. And they were catering to a steady stream of fanatics. Long lines. Or a small price to pay, said Alex, the gold card holder. Not you, it's another one. <laughs> he said, I walked 20 blocks and it was worth it. I'm a Starbucks fanatic, he tells the New York Post. I go four to five times a day. I like the way they make their coffee and present it elsewhere. It's just standard, regular coffee. It's known as the last Starbucks standing. That's what they begin to coin it. In the face of an impending storm, with a hurricane on its way, one man, one store owner decided he was going to stay open. He was going to keep the door open. He said, I feel like in these tough times, people needed a place where they could go and where they could connect. This store manager had one thing right. In the midst of troubled times, people do need a place where they can go in a place where they can connect. In a time when people are feeling overwhelmed and in a time where people don't know what to do with the hardships of their life, there is a place that people need to go. It's not to get a coffee, but it is a place called the church. It is the old ship of Zion. It's the hope for those that are lost and dying. There is no other place like the church. And if you've been questioning whether this is the place where you need to bring your family, if you've been questioning whether this is the place where you need to root down, I've come to tell you that this is it. You found it. There's nothing else in the world like the church.
going to tell you if the world will walk 20 blocks and they'll pack up their baby in the middle of a hurricane for coffee. Surely we can make it to the house of God. Surely we can get our kids to the house of God. Because when everything can be shaken, when everything's going to be shaken, there will be one thing that the foundation is sure. For upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. She said it's scary to think in those Starbucks. I'm going to tell you what's a scarier proposition. No church. No place that I can take my family. No, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. No place where I can bring my children and they can find refuge from this world. It's a scary thought to think that there would be no place where I could find a refuge for my soul. It's a scary place if I would think that there's no place that I could take my marriage when it's on the rock. It's a scary proposition when there's no place I could find refuge. I'm telling somebody, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, but get to the church I love the church we want you in the church God wants you in the church but you know what I love the most about the church if you don't show up it'll still keep going hate to burst your bubble but this whole thing ain't riding on you and it ain't riding on me if I backslide and I go to hell the church is going to keep moving forward what I love about the church is that all it takes is two or all it takes is three together together and God said I'm going to be there because it's my church it's my body it's my people Hallelujah. And I feel him in this place. I feel him in this place. I feel him in this place. I feel like he's come to his church to finish the work that he started. Uh All of civilizations fall when the education system has completely failed. Government has been taken over. The wickedness of this world has reached high places. Jesus said, don't worry, I've built my church on a rock. (laughs) If you've been looking for it, this is it. I've just come to just sit your mind at ease. If you've been wondering about it, this is it. This is the place. This is the church. This is where you're going to find what you need in the presence of God. But can I tell you, the Bible says that something more intimate about this church, there's something more intimate about this temple. The Bible says that you're the temple. That within you dwells the presence of God. A dwelling place where the doors need to be fixed and there needs to be upkeep. And C.S. Lewis said, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I thought he was going to build a nice little cottage for him to live in. But when he came in, he started busting down walls. 
kicking out doors and said, I'm not here to build a cottage. I'm here to build a temple for me to dwell in. And I just feel in the Holy Ghost tonight that there are so many that in some area of your life, in some area of your walk with God, you have neglected some building. You've decided I'm just going to build my own place and I'm going to build my own kingdom and I'm going to take care of what I need to take care of. I'm going to take care of number one. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of because I feel the Holy Ghost right. I'm just talking to you. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of because it don't seem like the church is doing me any good. I'm going to fix me. I'm going to take care of it. I'm telling somebody the Holy Ghost has come to tell you that he's not finished with you yet. <laughs> and you wonder why God has shut some things down. You wonder why God has stopped the do. You wonder why you're just putting it into a bag with holes in it. And God said, because I'll shut it down until you return and let me finish the work that I've started. Because I'm confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to let God finish what he started in you. Let's stand, let's stand all over this house. You gotta let him finish what he started in you. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. The Holy Ghost is gonna talk to us right now. The word has already spoken in our hearts, but I'm telling you, there will be a manifestation of his word and he will speak to us on a very, 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 very personal level. Let's pray right now in the Holy Ghost. Do you understand that the only reason that the Longwood Plantation was never finished is because the production was halted in the middle of battle, the middle of a fight, in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of heartache, in the middle in the middle of an embittered fight between sides, that house was stopped and they never started building it again. I've noticed in my life that there are times when I know God is working on me and God is trying to do something in me. God is trying to, to work. He's trying to fix this, this old vessel up the way he wants it to be. And I've noticed that, that, that I'll push into a better prayer life and I'll push where I'm fast, I'll push where I'm reading. But all of a sudden a battle will come and a fight will come. And, and, and it seems like that progress has stopped. seems like the three steps that I took forward in the middle of that fight, I lose the ground. And then when the battle's over and I try to return, it's like a struggle just to get back to the place. It's a struggle to pray like I was praying before. It's a struggle to reach for God. It's a struggle to get to the altar. It's like we, it's like we pray and we know God wants to heal us and we feel a little touch. But then when the battle comes, we step back and you don't feel it anymore. And I begin to think the Holy Ghost that God is coming to this place. And God said, what I want to do is I want to start that building again. 
because some of us have some unfinished things and we're praying for new things. And God said, let me finish this first. Let me finish this first. And the spirit of Jesus Christ from the cross, it is finished. I won't stop halfway with you. I won't let you just go and I'll finish what I started. I'll finish what I started. I want to finish it. I want to complete it. I want to finish it. I want you to hear me. God's going to visit this week and tonight. God is going to visit his temple again. He's going to visit you again. He's going to look into your heart. He's going to see if you'll allow him to complete a work that he started. He's walking in the midst of the candlesticks right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm just reaching after. I wish we would just pray right now. I'm reaching for some people that you know God's drawing on you to be in the church and God's drawing on you to let him finish. But but you got some things you want to do first. You got some things you want to get fixed up. And God's saying, just let me finish. Just let me finish. Just let me complete it. Don't you walk away with an uncomplete. this building. Everybody, I want us to close our eyes. I want us to throw our hands up in this place right now. The angel of the Lord is in this place. and God is walking through the aisles of this church and he's looking at the hearts and he's saying, would you just let me finish that? Will you let me come into the temple? Will you let me do it? Will you let, come on, let's, I want you to hear me right now. I'm telling you that God has come tonight to complete some things. He'll start some new things when you let him complete what he needs to complete right now. I wonder, I wonder what is it that's stopping it. I wonder when he's walking through those candlesticks, Laodicea and church, if, if you're just, just, just growing cold on God and now, you know, I'm telling you, the angel of the Lord is looking into the hearts of men and women in this place right now and God's asking, will you let me complete the work? Listen, if they will walk for 16 or 20 blocks to get to a Starbucks, I wonder if anybody could just step out of your seat, come to an altar and say, God, fix and finish what you've started. God, complete what you've done. Lord, I've been in such a battle. I've been in such a fight. I've lost my joy. I've lost that urge. God, will you finish what you started? God, I've been in such a struggle. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.